0: So, welcome to a special episode of CRST, the podcast. In this episode, I'll be chatting with a panel of world-renowned surgeons about some of the exciting treatment options for patients with presbyopia. Joining me today are Ami Amid from Optegra Eye Hospital in London, Sri Ganesh from Netradama Super Specialty Eye Hospital, Kartanataka in India, Joaquin Fernandez from QVision, Almeria, Spain. Erika Eskina from Eye Clinic Sphere, Moscow, Russia, and I'm Beatrice from University Brest Hospital in France, your host for today. We'll be discussing things like IOL technologies for presbyopia correction, considerations in post-refractive surgery patients, and matching the procedures to the patient need. We'll also talk about good ways to educate postbiopic patients on the available options so let's get started with sharing our preferences and experience with postbiopic corrections. So, about surgeons' preferences and experience, I would like to ask you guys uh, what about corneal options uh, when we think about LASIK versus PRK versus blending vision versus monovision? Erica, would you like to tell us what you think about these different options regarding postbiopic correction?
1: Uh, with a pleasure. First of all, um, we are watching at the patients and um, we decide what is better for the patients regarding the approach. Is it PRK or the LASIK or lasik or and um, even smile sometimes, Uh, but uh, it's just a way to uh, correct the refraction error. And then uh, we are talking about the uh, approach which we use to uh, correct presbyopia, and this is a a challenging group of the patients and uh, uh, they take from us uh, much more time than a regular patient to uh, discuss their expectations, to check uh, their tolerance to anisometropia, to check the aberrations of the cornea and the eye. And uh, the most important is to check their expectations. And uh, this all influence our a common decision because it's not a decision of the surgeon. It's a decision of the patient as the surgeon. This is my opinion. And of course, sometimes we decide in a direction of monovision, sometimes in a, a presbyopic corneal approach. And um, sometimes we uh, prefer uh, to reach the maximum uh, result to any distance, to far or to near. And again, it depends on the situation.
0: Thank you, thank you, Erika. What about your hacky? Maybe you make a difference if the patient is myopic or hyperopic to take your decision regarding again blended vision versus versus vision?
2: Yes, uh, we have uh, to make very easy in, in our algorithm is uh, based in 2 cut off point in terms of safety and in terms of efficacy. In terms of uh, efficacy, our cut off point is about the double-pass technique. The In the past, we call uh, um, the OCAS. Right now, is HD analyzer. You did an excellent work. At least, you published an excellent cutoff point in terms of uh, cataract, of uh, uh, surgical criteria. And we published, uh, last year, a review talking about the cutoff point of 1.5 of uh, OSI contrast sensitivity that we are going to achieve with any multifocal uh, lens is going to be better than the crystalline of the arm patient. This cutoff point for us is very important. So below this cutoff point, we are going, we uh, suspect, well, we, we can t- take consideration of a transparent crystalline and we're going to, to a procedure and with above this cutoff point, we are thinking about a uh, in or well, a pseudoaqueous procedure, and in terms of safety, uh, we can read an, in I in the journal I a very interesting systematic review talking about the relative risk of uh, operating on crystalline. We have when we have uh, an axial lens below twenty three millimeter, we are not going to improve the relative risk of the retina detachment, but when we have uh, uh, axial lens above 23 millimeters, we could uh, improve the relative risk of uh, retinal detachment overall 26 millimeters. So we, I think we have to take uh, advice of that. This cutoff point for my humble opinion is very important to take uh, in account.
1: I absolutely agree, and this is why we try to postpone the refractive lens exchange in the myopic cases as long as it possible, and to find the uh, corneal solution for them or
0: uh, FACIC IOL. I mean, you're making a good point. So before we move to the, I would say the discussion on IOLs, can we again, focus on these kernel approaches? And can you just for our, uh, I mean, uh, attendees, just to mention regarding your experience, if you go for a monovision or if you uh, work, uh, I mean, uh, using this blended vision, which is an interesting option to uh, to do what we used to, to call the press bias, the press bilasic. So maybe both of you can make a comment before we, we go for this spotlight on IOS. On, on
1: if it's possible, I will start. Uh, so uh, the monovision, unfortunately, is an approach which provides us a limited uh, in time result. So, uh, and this is the topic we have to discuss with the patient. Uh, if he accepted, and if he um, prefers to get uh, the high uh, vision acuity as a result of the surgery, but the limited uh, in time result, then of course we are moving in this direction. But uh, as well, uh, patient is not able to decide by himself because he's not uh, experienced and understand what can we offer him after the surgery. So my goal is always to try to show the patient what he will see after the surgery. So unfortunately, we are limited with the simulators uh, of the uh, potential vision at the moment, but I hope it will be developed soon. But nevertheless, there are contact lenses existing and presbiopic uh, multifocal contact lenses. And we definitely try to show patients different options.
0: Interesting. What do you think, Joachim, about this? I mean, this way of using the contact lens test before?
2: Well, uh, I really appreciate this information. It would be very interesting. Uh, the, more we, the more we involve the patient in the shared decision making, the bigger is going to be the satisfaction of the patient for sure. So I absolutely uh, agree with these uh, possibilities. Uh, in terms of what procedure, we, what we use, Beatrice, uh, we recently, this, this month, this week, we published in the uh, journal, Refractive Surgery, a review about the, how to manage the spherical aberration for the procedure. I think it's very interesting. And I think it's very dependent of the previous spherical aberration of the patient that we need to measure. And of course, the pupillometry of the patient. These two issues is going to be very important in the outcomes, we don't we don't have good evidence enough about that. Okay, we need to improve the design of the papers in the future to know and even to improve uh, trials uh, with control group in order to discriminate the value that we could uh, give to our patient. But these two issues is going to be very important. And for us, it's also very important what is uh, the amount of dry eye the ocular surface of the patient. If we have a, if we have a, a not very helpful uh, ocular surface, we go to a smile monovision. If we, would, if we have a healthy enough ocular surface, we could think about a, a presby elastic uh, uh, option, okay? So this is more or less the idea that we develop, but for sure, breast for us is a good option for this if we could select the perfect patient and a healthy surface for our patient.
0: We understood finally that there are these two key options, I mean the intraocular approach and the corneal one. Uh, So I was wondering, um, with your experience, um, uh, Amir, maybe you can make a comment between uh, uh, the the choice of uh, Presbyond versus some other trifocal IOLs, I know that you have a good uh, study conducted in in that comparison. Can you maybe tell us about the the outcome of it?
3: Uh, Beatrice, thank you very much uh, for having me here. Uh, Very happy to answer that question. Yes, we we looked at our our cohort of patients in a prospective way. Uh, Patients who had uh, Presbyond laser blended vision, uh, bilateral trifocal intraocular lens implantation and bilater- bilateral uh, EDOF lens uh, implantation. What we found was uh, across the board, all the patients were happy, regardless of what group uh, they were in. But uh, for certain types of patients, uh, they tended to be happier uh, with a particular procedure, depending on their characteristics. So as a result of that, we, we developed what we Uh, simplistically called the presbyopia decision tree, depending on the patient's refraction, their age, their accommodation, uh, and the clarity of their own crystalline lens. As a result of that, in my own practice, I tend to prefer, uh, if they fulfill the criteria and able to uh, tolerate monovision when we do our uh, refraction, to to default to presbyon laser blended vision, if at all possible. If not, you know, there, there, there are other solutions which are, are, are just as good for these patients uh, as
0: well. That's interesting. What about you, Sri? I mean, uh, do you have any decision tree that you follow to make a comparison or decision uh, between, I mean, in terms of age or uh, in terms of accommodation? We heard that from, from Amir uh, for, I mean, to discriminate the intraocular and the corner approach?
4: Again, depending upon the age, I prefer to do presbyon for the younger age group between Forty to sixty years, and above sixty years, also I don't totally rule out presbyon, but I uh, definitely would like to look at the crystalline lens. And I uh, I do some tests. I do the uh, I check the DLI, which is the dysmorphic lens index with the eye trace uh, and look at the score. And if the dysmorphic lens index is less than five, then I would probably pre- prefer to do a multifocal IUL. I also look at the uh, OSI, that is the objective scatter index from the HD analyzer, and if the score is uh, more than 1.5, then I would lean towards doing a, a multifocal, a trifocal IUL. Otherwise, I would uh, prefer Presbyon. And we also do the test whether the test for dominance, the acceptance of the 1.5 DATRAG, whether they're able to accept the anisometropia and they do not have any cross blur. And if all the tests are suitable for Presbyon, then I prefer Presbyon. But in the old age group, definitely if there are some Early lens changes, uh, I would uh, favor the trifocal eye value.
0: That's interesting that, I mean, in full accordance to what uh, actually Joaquin told us about the selection regarding the crystalline lens grading. I mean, we, we are all talking about mini monovision, we are talking about press beyond. Do you think that there is? a better indication for Presbyon for hyperopic patients rather than myopic? Do you manage these two categories differently in your experience, both of you? Uh,
4: Not necessarily. In our experience, we have found that the patient satisfaction is quite good, both for hyperopic and for uh, myopic patients. And even uh, some of the emetropic patients, uh, some of them we have treated with Presbyon. If the patient has an understanding about what to expect uh, and how uh, uh, the presbyon works, wherein the dominant eye is corrected for distance and the non- non-dominant eye for near, and there is a blend zone between the two eyes uh, and they should not compare each eye. Uh, that is most important. And uh, these patients are happy. For the hyperopic patients, we like to slightly overcorrect on the addition. Uh, I generally like to, have a 1.75 add in the non dominant type because we find these that these uh, patients, especially the uh, higher hyperopes, they have a tendency for regression because of the epithelial hyperplasia that happens uh, because of the ablation pattern. And then they, after uh, some time, they find their reading is not so good. So I would like to kind of increase the add if they're tolerant to it to about 1.75. And of course, for the myopic uh, patients, you have to be on target uh, for uh, distance for the dominant eye, And uh, we don't find much of regression in the myopic patients and they are quite stable. Uh, The very low myops, uh, the 1.5 to two diopters, you have to be a little careful because their satisfaction is less because they have a tendency to remove their glasses and read. So they have excellent reading, binocular reading, uh, without the glasses and the distance also is good with glasses so their expectations are a little higher and uh, they take a little more time to adapt so you need to kind of counsel them and you may probably have to spend more chair time with them.
0: Absolutely I guess that you do agree on, on that Amir do you think of the multiple patients are you doing smile for instance because I was wondering if there is a place for pure monovision using smile or regular lasik uh, if you use Presbyon in, in myopic patients?
3: So we do so um, to, the, to the first question, uh, I agree with everything thats free said. I think the, the crucial thing obviously is patient assessment, uh, patient selection. And you know very importantly with Presbyon, regardless of the patient's refractive status, is the patient counseling, uh, both both pre and post-operatively. That is what delivers the highest level of patient satisfaction we do we do do uh, to the second question we do also do uh, mono vision smile uh, and you know patient satisfaction is also very high in that group the the only difference uh, would be is that th- there is no blend zone currently uh, in the way I you know when I do uh, monovision smile so there will be some patients who uh, their own innate accommodation isn't as great as others where they will have a, a loss of intermediate vision from, from monovision smile, but you know. Having said that, the great majority of the patients that you treat with monovision will also uh, with monovision smile will also be quite happy.
1: I would add uh, to this discussion, sorry, Beatrice, that uh, we made a study about the, how the dry eye of the patients influencing the speed of the brain adaptation and the vision recovery speed after pres- uh, presbyopic approach on the cornea. And uh, unfortunately, especially in uh, women and females, we see a very strong influence of this situation and uh, our rule now that we are preparing our patients uh, before the surgery, because this presbiopic surgery is very special. Patients are able to wait Uh, until uh, they are coming to the certain condition uh, when uh, the treatment is more effective. It's not an urgent surgery. It's not a young patient which wants to get his result tomorrow. They are more wise uh, in a way. And we use it uh, uh, convincing them to prepare to use the um, lubricants before the surgery to correct their uh, diet, uh, to uh, correct their skills uh, of uh, meals and uh, behavior at the house, I mean uh, uh, humidifiers and so on, uh, to prepare them to get a better result. And it works. So collaboration with the patient is very important.
0: So information, selection are the key for for success. And uh, thank you for making this highlight on the colour surface which has just became with the time one of the, the most hot, hot topic, I would say, that we need to discuss before. So we look very much forward to reading your two articles, guys, so thank you for all this uh, good science. So regarding now the, the option that we, we, we just have today uh, in terms of, of, of IOS, I would say that some of our colleagues can even get confused with so huge and large offer in terms of optics. So maybe can you give us your experience and and some uh, tricks that you may use to select the proper technology, depending on the patient. So in other words, how do you make a difference between trifocal, EDOF, or this new category of advanced monofocal? So maybe ladies first, Dereka, if you want to tell us how you make your, your selection.
1: Uh, yes, uh, of course. I would like to share uh, my experience. Unfortunately, in Russia, we are a little bit uh, behind with the registration procedure, so uh, something is not uh, uh, yet available. But still, we have, uh, of course, multifocal lenses and the DOF lenses, and the lenses with um, um, additional spherical aberration. I would say improved, and we are t- talking, of course, about the size lenses, and. Um, of course, the complete and uh, mm, sorrowful diagnostics before the surgery is very important. Uh, I would say that uh, to convince our audience uh, to measure the spherical aberrations in Uh, cataract patients, it's not easy. Uh, And unfortunately, sometimes we see that it is not taken into account uh, choosing the EDOF lenses or uh, improved monofocal lenses. Uh, This is very important. And uh, also, if we are talking about the type of refraction, I am sure that uh, colleagues will support me. uh, But hyperopic patients are uh, mostly more happy than myopic. And um, I would again switch to the psychology. Uh, it's uh, from one side uh, surprising because hyperopic patients, they're uh, normally very precise, very perfectionists and expect from them that they will be happy from the surgery is not easy. Uh, but they are really happy from the multifocal and the adolf uh, lenses uh, and the myopic uh, are not. And I think it's a question also of their retina density in the macular area, and we all know that the receptive fields of the myopic patients are uh, having different properties in comparison to ametropic and the hyperopic. And this is uh, what we have to study and explore. This is my opinion. It's just a start for the discussion.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I would say that it's very interesting to start with these kind of comments. What do you think, Joachim, do you think that the myopic patients are maybe also less or more demanding for near compared to the hyperopic patient? That may be also another reason. What do you think, Joachim, and how do you make your choice and your selection of IOLs depending on the patient's profile?
2: Well, Beatrice, I think that right now we have, as you said, a huge portfolio of uh, chocolate lenses. Uh, First, I think we have two mandatory uh, tasks for, for this presbyopid surgery. First of all, is have a, a very deep knowledge about each lenses, very deep knowledge. We need to know everything about that coming from the optical band, of course, from the papers, from the clinical. But overall, over, overall, for the young surgery that want to get in deep uh, in this type of surgery, the most important is what not to do, what not to operate is very important uh, to have succeed, to have very satisfied patient in order to have ambassador of our practice, okay? So if you want, uh, I, I take uh, your, your issue uh, in talk about this what not to do. For my humble opinion, what not to do is not operate in transparent crystalline. Remember this cutoff about 1.5 OC with the HD analyzer. But the the harder, the more opaci- op- opacification of the crystalline, the happier it's going to be our patient because they are going to compare the quality of vision. Okay? This is one of the most important. And of course, it's very important to, uh, to, uh, to, Take care about, for example, this different type of patient, emetropic patients are very dangerous. Emetropic patients for sure are very dangerous. And probably myopic patients, because of they have an incredible near vision, um, and they could remember this situation. Okay. But for sure, the better option to begin with this type of lenses is this type of patient that is hyperopic. They have lost one or two lines for distance and they don't use any glasses. This is the perfect option to begin and overall, if they have a cataract and they have a healthy uh, eye.
0: Absolutely. Um, I mean, uh, Sri, so we know that you are living in India and in India, you may have some experience with the psychic, presbyopic, are that the entire world are so much looking forward. So do you have any experience in, in, in that uh, new procedure?
4: I basically do not uh, have too much of experience with the fakic presbyopic lens because what I find with uh, the fakic IULs is uh, there is a image magnification. And most of my patients, almost about 65, 70% of my fakic uh, IUL patients have improvement in their best corrected vision. And the fakic IUL, when you put the fakic IUL for a myopic patient, you have, uh, because of the magnification factor, you have better reading. So what I find in in the pre-presbyopic or the early presbyopic uh, age, even if you do a full correction with the fakic eye they are somehow comfortable uh, to read. And I've been doing uh, fakic eye for nearly 20 years now. And many of my patients, earlier patients, highly myopic patients have become uh, presbyopic. I find that they don't need reading glasses. They're still able to manage uh, reading glasses because I think there's some... The optics are a little different. The cornea is a high plus power lens and the Fagic IUL is a minus lens. So it, it, there is some kind of a Galilean optics there which gives them some amount of uh, magnification. And because of this magnification, they have an improvement in best corrected vision. And for reading also their angular magnification is better. Uh, so they are able to manage. For presbyopic patients, what I do is I do a mini or a micro monovision of uh, half adapter or three-fourths of adapter, Uh, leaving the myopic in the non-dominant eye and they're very comfortable. Uh, If you put in a presbyopic phakic lens, either a refractive or diffractive, then they have night vision issues. Uh, So somehow I'm not very partial to the presbyopic phakic lenses. I would rather do a mini monovision with a a phakic IUL and uh, these patients are extremely happy.
0: I must say that I share your opinion in that regard. And we still don't know, I mean, at that age, If using a fake IOL in a patient of more than 45 years old, we may accelerate the occurrence of the cataract. So we still need to answer that question. So coming back to you, Amir, I mean, we have a a large range now of available uh, so-called premium IOLs. And I'm afraid that many of our colleagues can actually get uh, confused between making a choice between a trifocal, EDOF, combined multifocal and EDOF, uh, can you maybe help us to clarify the situation and uh, how you manage the selection of your patients for one category rather than the other?
3: Yeah, I think <clears throat> that's, that's, a, that's a really good question. I think particularly for people who are first starting out uh, in, in this type of, uh, of surgery. Um, what I would say uh, to reassure everyone is whatever platform you do choose uh, from whatever manufacturer, the, the, the choices that we have now are of such high quality, it, you know, it's very rare that you get an unhappy patient because of the technology um, and it would usually is due to, uh, you know, uh, patient expectation rather than technology itself. As I discussed earlier, we do we do have the presbyopia decision tree even uh, with regards to our IOL approaches. So that would depend on, you know, the degree of uh, uh, spectacle independence the patient is uh, wanting, the level of night driving they do, how much close work they do throughout their day. Uh, And these are the things that we we ask them uh, when we go through our assessment with them. It's really important, you know, despite having all these options that we have, that we explain to them from the start that whatever we do, there will be some level of compromise. And it's which level of compromise that they're most comfortable with, depending on their activities of daily living and their visual requirements. Uh, uh, And that's how we would approach it. The patient that wants the greatest degree of spectacle independence will be offered a trifocal lens, uh, but they have to accept that there will be some level of of night vision disturbance, uh, which they will take time to adapt to. Uh, And and if they're willing to compromise on on some near vision and occasionally wear reading glasses, uh, Edof lens uh, would be better for for night vision uh, issues.
0: You're making a good comments, but I think that it's interesting to go deeper inside these topics of patient's expectation and compromise. That's definitely the two key words. But frankly, between you and I, when you discuss about patient's expectations, patients just would like just to forget about the eyes. And so not to think about, I think that all of us are using our eyes at all the different distances. And we don't know any patients who will just ask for reading or for far. So how do you manage that? Uh, I mean, uh, on your side, what kind of recommendation and what kind maybe of uh, specific, um, uh, I would say, uh, characteristic of uh, comments coming from the patient you would uh, take into account for making your selection beside the age, I would say.
4: Um, I basically do not give the choice to my patient because they technically don't know anything about the lenses. So if I talk to them about EDOF or of trifocals, then they don't know anything about it. And uh, they would not be in a position to make a choice. Uh, I make the decision for them depending upon uh, their lifestyle. I also look at the height of the patient, the arm length, the reading distance. And I also ask them uh, some questions about their lifestyle, about their hobbies and about their uh, driving. If they drive at night actively on uh, highways and uh, if, they, if they are actively driving on highways, if they are taller, they have a longer arm length, uh, then I'm more partial towards the Edof lenses like the AT-LARA. Uh, also, we take measurements of the angle alpha and if the angle alpha is slightly larger, then I prefer an Edof lens like the AT-LARA because the central zone is larger and these patients are uh, happier with uh, these lenses because the uh, central zone for distance is much larger. Uh, If the patient wants extreme close-up reading, if they have a lot of small print to read uh, and they're not driving much, uh, then I would prefer a trifocal like the um, 80 uh, Lisa. And that would give them uh, a good vision for distance, intermediate, and near. And uh, of course, they they would kind of get adapted to the night vision issues. Uh, So basically, I use both. And sometimes... um, I do mix and match, uh, and if I mix and match, then I would like to use the EDOF in the dominant eye uh, and the uh, trifocal in the non-dominant eye.
0: Do you agree on that? I mean, are you are you dealing with mix and match also on, on your side, Amia? Uh,
3: I, I personally don't do uh, mix and match, uh, but that could be because of the patient demographic uh, that I, 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 I treat. Um, yeah, they 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 very much would like to know what lens they're going to have. They would have researched everything already, uh, and sometimes <laughs> you know, uh, bring research papers into clinic and things like that. So, uh, I, I think it's it's important, you know, like like Sri says, to understand your patients, and uh, and and depending on that, you have to be flexible, uh, and. And I agree with Sri, we, we often have to guide our patients to the right decisions um, uh, in a way that will benefit them the most.
0: So, you know, guys, we are all talking nowadays about this new third category, uh, so-called, uh, I would say, monofocal plus or advanced monofocal? What do you think about this new category? Do you think that it may take the place of the regular monofocal or even maybe the the, the place of some uh, potentially some EDOF lenses? Uh, Do you have some ideas about this this new, I would say uh, option that is offered to us? Who wants to comment and and to start for maybe three?
4: Yeah, I have uh, had some experience with these lenses and I use these lenses, uh, the advanced monofocal lenses. Ba- basically, they increase uh, the depth of field slightly by about uh, three-fourths of a ad- adapter, half-adapter to three-fourths of an adapter. So they are not really good for reading. It's an in-between lens. And what I find is that the, there is a little bit of compromise in the distance vision. The distance vision drops slightly. Uh, these patients, uh, uh, I mean, they can read 20-20, but not, better than 2020. And many of my uh, monofocal lens patients, that their uh, maculas are fine, many of them uh, are able to read 2020 or better with the aspheric lenses. So I think there is a little bit of compromise which uh, you're not told about uh, in order to get uh, the depth of field because uh, physics is physics, two plus two is equal to four. So if you're going to get something, then you have to lose something. So. I feel that uh, there is a little bit of compromise, but nevertheless, uh, once you do both eyes and you have about three fourths of adapter uh, in both eyes, then there is some amount of summation. uh, And these patients can probably manage intermediate uh, vision. But what I find in India is that our pupils are quite small. So after uh, surgery, the average pupil size is just about three millimeters, sometimes 2.5 millimeters. And this naturally gives an increased depth of field. Uh, So I don't find that uh, these lenses give too much of an advantage, but maybe in the Caucasian eyes, which have much larger pupils, uh, this increased uh, depth of field may actually help them uh, in getting some amount of intermediate vision over the regular monofocal lenses.
0: You're lucky because in India, you may have this integrated pinot lens that is actually (laughs) one of the (laughs) very famous EDAF concept. So what do you think, Amir, I mean, uh, about this, uh, again, new category of uh, advanced monofocal?
3: I think they're a very uh, exciting uh, new category of IOLs. It certainly expands the range uh, of treatments that we, we can offer to our patients, uh, you know, particularly in patients who, who are very sensitive to the possibility of glaring halos at night. Uh, but once, some level of uh, spectacle independence. The other uh, group of patients who we could offer this lens to, and I have been offering this lens to, uh, are patients that have, you know, pathology. So they have some macular pathology or uh, optic nerve pathology. So they do have some functional, uh, you know, uh, spectacle independence without compromising too much on contrast sensitivity uh, and impairing the visual function. Should their ocular comorbidity progress. One other thing that we've been doing, and this is an interesting thing that Shri has said, we, we've looked at our own case series of about 300 eyes now. We find that uh, about a third of our patients, even if we aim for emetropia, will be able to read a newspaper quite comfortably. So in that in that patient population. What we've done uh, in uh, in a group of patients, because of our experience with Presbeyond, is uh, in clear lens extraction patients who, who don't want a diffractive lens, is we offer them a micro-monovision approach, stroke blended vision with an IOL. Uh, and that gives high degrees of spectacle independence uh, without glare and halos, good levels of visual quality. So th- that's another approach that we've been using uh, more and more. The important thing to understand, and, and uh, Sri has already alluded to this already, there is some compromise in visual quality. So if you defocus the non-dominant eye too much, so for example, if you go minus 1.5 or beyond, there will be a reduction in visual quality in the non-dominant eye. And uh, So that's that's where you have to be careful, and you may, you may have patients who are very unhappy uh, as a result of that.
0: Thank you for this comment, because I mean that's very important to actually emphasize the idea that as soon as we manage uh, a minimum vision will induce some defocus and at the same time you will increase the rate of halos and uh, by the way maybe uh, lose some potential benefit of ed of so uh, i mean uh, we already mentioned many times that it's all about compromise
1: I would add, if it's possible, a, a few comments. Um, first, uh, sometimes we uh, still uh, operate the patients with a transparent lens because there are high hyperopic patients when we cannot do anything else and they're really suffering with uh, sick glasses and which are changing uh, very often and uh, decreased the distance vision. And we have a risk of the uh, uh, glaucoma. So uh, there are still medical indications Uh, to uh, reflective lens exchange in these cases. And regarding the myopic patients, I would say also uh, support your opinion that uh, they, of course, have an excellent near vision, and it's very important to teach them at which distance they will see after the surgery, because they don't understand that they will not see here in front of the nose as they did before.
0: And That's a good is- point. Patient education, Joachim, you you want to make a comment on that. Very
2: important. This is, it's very interesting that point that said uh, Erika about the therapeutical indication of a very shadow anterior chamber. It's very interesting. This is true. But we, ne- we need to take uh, advice about that probably in a very high hyperope, we are going to lose one line for distance when we compare corrective in glasses. With and uh, compared with an in intracular uh, uh, lens. So, we need to take al- uh, advice of that a very high hyperopia. When we have and when they see with glasses, they can reduce one line in comparison with an in intracular lens. It's very important because there are a lot of patients with ha- very high hyperopia, they, they could have some time of amblyopia. And we need to take advice, be very careful with that. But, absolutely agree with Erica that. Uh, the uh, therapeutical indication this type of cases is absolutely uh, indicated.
0: We don't have all the, the available high power for the different kind of lenses that we, we previously mentioned. But if we do have the, uh, the good power, I would recommend to prefer edof rather multifocal because for all the, the reason that Joachim mentioned and in top of it, we know the difficulty to provide a good quality of vision for these high ametropic patients whoever they are, I myopic or I hyperopic. So, I mean, we we have, again, this trifocal and uh, EDOF. Inside of this uh, category of EDOF, we know that there is one main goal that we can call the social vision, which is basically this range of intermediate vision. And we know that, uh, I mean, it's a goal, but we do have different concepts. So for our auditors, uh, can we maybe specify in, in your daily practice how you make a different interaction for EDOF compared to trifocal? If there is a place for mixed matching, maybe some some concept, uh, who, who want maybe to start? Maybe we can start with Joachim, just to, to change the turnover of discussion. Yeah.
2: Yes, when when we have right now uh, this cutoff of of OC of 1.5, we go directly for the algorithm of the pseudophagy procedure, okay? And we prefer, we really prefer because in the main uh, patient of our uh, sample in in the clinic, they want to avoid uh, reading glasses, any glasses, okay? So we used to use to implant three focal lenses, first of all, okay? Uh, but of course we need to know what are the behavior of the patient. We are using, uh, uh some, um, questionnaire uh, for know exactly what are the behavior, but we use also the video, uh, with our patient in order to know. The distances of any task. Also the illumination that you used to know for us is very important. The pupillometry and, uh, what are the importance of the dysphotopsias in their life okay if we have uh, a patient that could have be affected a lot with these photopsias of course we are thinking about a edof lenses probably a refractive edof lenses that have uh, we have evidence that the refractive edof lenses can reduce the photopsias okay in comparison with diffractive edof lenses but uh, we we prefer in, in in the main patient the the trifocal lenses. We have published a, a long-term uh, outcomes with uh, with the Atelisa three six uh, years of follow up is the longest follow-up with a trifocal lenses and the satisfaction is absolutely amazing. The dysphotopsias has, uh, has reduced for the years and our our patients are really happy of that. So. Uh, Avoiding this patient that could have uh, very uh, complaints about these photopsies, we prefer a trifocal lenses. But of course, it's a very demanding uh, procedure in terms of not uh, let any refractive mistake, very good uh, surface. You know all the things that uh, we need to know with all the, the patients.
0: Uh, Erika, what do you think? I get that you share the idea that we need to achieve a metropia if we deal with trifocolatesis, maybe the EDAF are a little bit more forgiving. So what do you think about it in terms of of selection of- uh, This is uh,
1: just what I wanted to say, that there are different uh, clinical situations we have. And uh, uh, of course, there are uh, patients with a um, slight astigmatism on the cornea, prior uh, treated patients with a corneal refractive surgery, and in a case we have some um, luxation or subluxation of the lens. So there are uh, three situations when we are challenging because the centration of the three focal lens is also very important. Uh, and uh, this Fourth topic is the expectations of the patient. Patients are want everything. Uh, they want to have an excellent distance vision, no uh, gallo, no side effects, and they have uh, want to have a near vision. And we have a very good experience of uh, mix and match. And if we have a chance to ch- detect the dominant eye of the patient, then it's uh, a possibility which we try to use. So again, add-off lenses. Uh, if it possible, refractive lenses. Uh, in cases of uh, operated corneas, in, ca- in cases of a slight astigmatism, and uh, in if clinic or the hospital has a possibility to have a reserved lens. So, for example, we are planning a trifocal lens, but in, uh, intraoperatively we see that the uh, capsule is not stable enough. So it's probably a chance or a way to replace this lens with an end-of-lens to uh, provide the patient better uh, result, especially if we need a suturing of the lens.
0: So what do you think about this aging population, patients who are uh, a candidate for a true cataract? Do you think that because of the uh, again the aging process changing a little bit, the contrast sensitivity, do, do you think that it's maybe a better place for EDAF compared to trifocal for this old patient?
1: Yes, uh, and I think it's also uh, the question of the uh, possibilities of the brain adaptation. And uh, uh, of course, unfortunately, it's reducing within the age. And the add lenses are uh, accepted by the patients much more easier. So I think it's uh, the first probably choice in these cases, especially if the expectations are not very high.
0: Uh, Questions to you, Joachim. I mean, you have this great study reporting on a six-year follow-up. So maybe you can answer on these very common questions. What's going on? if and uh, what will happen, if there is any retinal complication in the long term, I do you think that we will have maybe to remove the trifocal lenses, how we will manage it? It's a quite a common question that we are all, uh, I mean, we have all in mind for the future.
2: It's an excellent question, Beatrice. Um, I think, first of all, we're talking about a lot of things. We, we, we hear for a, lo- a lot of colleagues about decision but you know, uh, we, I think we need to improve our decision based on evidence, okay? we Sometimes we we take some decision based on plausibility in, in hypothesis, in possibilities, even in theories coming for the optical bank, but we need more and more, as I, say, as I told you, trials with control groups that in a, in a very solid way, tell us what are the best option and not based on hypothesis, okay? Coming from uh, answering your question, uh, that's right. This is a very good question. What happened in the, the long-term if this patient with uh, they are going to have a longer life could have any loss of contrast sensitivity? For sure, we could expect that the focus with less light distribution is going to be reduced uh, as long as the contrast sensitivity is going to reduce. Okay we need to tell to the patient this situation okay but the key is in the distance vision that uh, the majority of the lens is going to have the highest uh, light distribution is going to be uh, very low in comparison with a monofocal that could indicate an explantation a a restraint of the lens this is a very interesting uh, point we don't have answer coming from the evidence. We only could have some hypothesis from the optical vein comparison the MTF of the monofocal with a, a multifocal. And right now, we need more and more evidence of that. Very recently, have published uh, a, a, a paper uh, in, in this type of patient in glaucoma and retina. And in with this very little evidence can tell us that probably could be affected, the defocus, the, the uh, deep of field instead of the visual acuity. Probably is not affected the visual acuity in the distant vision, correct it. Probably is, but I, could, I couldn't read in the paper the contrast sensitivity. Probably is affected in the contrast sensitivity, but we need these two groups, this control group, to, 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 to verify that we need, if we need a rechange of the lens or not. But of course, this is a very interesting field for some type of lenses that could be very easy as planted, I don't know, like a PG bag or something like
0: that. That's an important point. So, you know, I think that we need also to consider a new and growing population, which is these patients who have been operating in the past with previous corneal surgeries. So uh, we, I mean, we are, it's now a part of our daily practice, I would say. So tell us uh, about the, the keys and some tricks about the proper calculation, which lens you would prefer for these, these kind of patients. Uh, so, t- I mean, I, I would like very much to share your, your experience on that because I think that for most of our uh, audience, it's something that, uh, again, it's a key question.
1: So uh, a lot of measurements first and uh, checking the proper data and uh, um, avoiding the dry eye. A lot of different formulas and calculations uh, and comparison uh, the results. And uh, of course the IOL master is a a main device we have, but still uh, we are using other formulas and comparing and searching for the mistakes to uh, avoid it. Uh, if we, um, we have a lot of patients with uh, radial keratotomy, you know, in Russia, and this is another challenge uh, because uh, the cornea changed dramatically. And here uh, we never use multifocal lenses. We use monofocal, unfortunately, and we try uh, to move the possible mistake in the myopic direction to be able uh, to adjust afterwards. Uh, but still, if we are talking about the uh, changed cornea, um, I would prefer um, the Adolf option and not a multifocal option. So um, this is uh, a question like Joachim said, what we are never doing. So never uh, multifocal uh, lens, uh, especially uh the, with a mixed optics, refractive diffractive, uh, for example, in a, a changed cornea, because it uh, brings unsatisfaction uh, to majority of the patients. This is our experience.
0: Let's talk about this uh, po- risky population. You know, uh, uh, patients at risk for uh, macular disease, for glaucoma. Uh, if everything is stable, if it's just a family risk factor, uh, do you do you go? I mean, for either, for even for multifocal lenses. So, what do you think about this? I would say, uh, patient at risk with no disease at the time of the surgery.
4: Uh, Well, there are two categories. Uh, One is uh, those with clear lenses who have uh, the pathology like uh, early age-related macular degeneration. And um, if uh, they are in their 50s, I would still like to do praspion because once you remove the lens and put an intraocular lens, then the progression of age-related macular degeneration is much faster. And if they have clear lenses, then I would probably not use a, multifocal or a trifocal, uh, just after uh, for press beyond. And in those patients with a stable pathology, uh, I would again discuss with uh, my retinal colleagues because who are treating them because most of the retina uh, colleagues do not like a multifocal lens because they are not able to focus clearly. They are not able to take good photographs of the retina. And if they want to um, give any laser treatment, again, that's also a little difficult. So. If they have any retinal pathologies, I would like to kind of uh, discuss with my retinal colleagues and then go ahead if I'm going to put in any of these uh, premium IOLs or multifocal lenses.
0: And so, uh, Amir, what do you think about the long-term complications? Patients who, I mean, who have uh, a multifocal lenses and uh, who will finally uh, later on see any retinal complications, do you think that we will have to remove these lenses we, we do have a significant now follow-up with the, with these multifocal lenses, and so do you think that we may have to to manage this kind of situation in case of late complications?
3: I, I think that's a, that's a great question and, and something that we, uh, to be honest, despite having a long follow-up on, uh, don't really have the data to to really give a good answer. Uh, it's certainly possible that in a small minority of patients, that would be an option that we. Uh, would need to take. Uh, But, you know, there are also a a larger group of patients where it may not be such an issue. Uh, A lot of my vitreo-retinal colleagues are now themselves quite comfortable using diffractive multifocal intraocular lenses uh, and therefore much more comfortable, you know, uh, examining these these eyes and and treating should there be any pathology. We have seen, you know, for example, uh, in rare instances where patients who've had cataract surgery or have had clear lens exchange develop, uh, you know, uh, retinal detachment several years down the line. And, and our retinal colleagues are, you know, able to, to treat them quite, quite well with very good results. Um, so, it, like, like I said, it's not well elucidated. I think we, we, we do need to have much better data on it. Uh, but I think as our practice evolves, I would think it would be less and less patients that would need to have such an extreme form of intervention.
0: We, we, we can also consider today, I mean, we are talking about delicate situation, but there is an ingrowing population. I mean, the patients who have been previously operated uh, regarding whatever it is, I mean, radiocarotectomy, LASIK, uh, and we know that that's going to be the cataract for tomorrow. Uh, so, do, do you do have any recommendations for our colleagues, especially what we used to call the conventional cataract surgeon that shouldn't exist anymore? Uh, what kind of recommendations can we make for them in terms of uh, IUL calculations, selection of the good lenses? Who wants to start on that? Sree, maybe you want to make comments on that?
4: Uh, basically, there are a few tests that I would like to do for uh, post refractive surgery patients and. Uh, I would definitely do a topography. I, I like to do the pentacam and I like to look at the EKR. I like to look at the EKR, uh, at, like lo- at the EKR graphs uh, and look at the distribution of the case to see if the cornea is regular or irregular. In irregular corneas uh, where the distribution is not Gaussian, I would definitely not opt for a premium lens like a multifocal or a trifocal lens. If the distribution is Gaussian and the uh, K distribution is quite uniform, Then I would also look at the abrasions, corneal abrasions. And uh, if the corneal abrasions are not very high, then we could look at a premium lens like a trifocal or a need off. Uh, And uh, also uh, selecting the correct formula is important. Uh, I basically use the IOL Master 700. And right now I like to use the uh, Barrett uh, TK, uh, uh, true, uh, True K TK. This is the new formula from Barrett, the KTK, which is most accurate for post-refractive surgery. And uh, it gives uh, quite good results. But anyways, I would still warn the patients that uh, since their corneas are altered, they may require an enhancement, uh, a touch-up with uh, laser if their results are not up to the mark.
0: What do you think, Amir? I mean, do share the idea that uh, multifocal is affordable when we know that you need perfectly to achieve the ametropia in these cases.
3: Yeah, so I think uh, I think it's the I think the discriminating factor is you're talking to two refractive surgeons, <laughs> so so we will have a slightly different opinion to maybe uh, our, our other non refractive colleagues, but. Uh, I think our appetite for implanting multifocal lenses for uh, in post uh, laser vision correction patients um, is is there because uh, we are quite confident with the tools that we have to hand to assess the patient's uh, refractive status and also the latest generation formulae. in conjunction with using the best lenses possible. So I, I do implant multifocal lenses uh, in patients who've had previous laser vision correction. Uh, I, I treat them you know, as all as all refractive patients. So we do topography, aberrometry, and we use total keratometry with Barrett um, as well. We get very reliable results. What we do say is we, we, we do have to have, we, we have a set of rules that we adhere to that they have to have, uh, normal topography a high quality ablation no irregular or decentered ablation regular astigmatism sufficient uh, corneal pachymetry should we need to do a laser vision correction uh, enhancement later uh, and again as with anything else like you've already alluded to is that they have to have realistic expectations uh, postoperatively uh, so that that's that's the case i think in terms of the the other group the majority of patients uh, who who may not uh, want to have a, a multifocal lens, the, the patient's own corneal aberrations can be uh, helpful uh, to you as well. So you can choose a monofocal lens, which is aberration correcting or aberration neutral. And that in, it, in of itself can help enhance their depth of focus uh, as well. So that's, that's something else that we've been doing uh, uh, over the years to improve our results.
0: You can even again mention the use, for instance, of this EDAF pinhole concept that can be even useful in case of irregular cornea. So I think that we do have a full range of available LNC that can be, I would say, decently today offered to all these patients. And again, that's a contract of tomorrow. So of course I do address the same questions to you, Joachim. Maybe, I mean, do you share the idea of doing an average, a mixture of different formula uh, do you uh, provide maybe a specific care on ocular surface? Because I mean, there is also a big a big issue behind be, behind these these patients. And finally, do you share the idea of using EDOF rather than multifocal?
2: Well, we used uh, to make an average of the ASCAR calculator uh, for this type of patient. But recently, uh, we have a very interesting paper published this year in I that uh, when, when they compare this group of uh, Tucanieo, and they compare this formula, specifically uh, made for this type of patient, Barret-Trupey, Hegis, and Chamas, and they compare with another formula, Evo, Hegis, Hover, Holadai, and Esakartii, with the uh, total keratometry of IOL master, the percentage of patients around 3.5 dioptries, it was quite the same. So it's very interesting for this type of patient, the opportunity of using the uh, total keratometry of the Real Master 700, and we could probably improve in any formula, our outcomes in comparison with this uh, uh, a specific uh, formula. And in the, the other thing is the uh, criteria for select this type of patient. I think we need to take very, um, very important, take, take care, about the, the regular astigmatism in this type of uh, patient. We used to use the Pentacam. Maeda described a cutoff point of 0.5 microns for the four, uh, four millimeters of astigmatism. We, we have some paper uh, that uh, uh, demonstrate that above the 0.5 the microns the defocus curve reduced dramatically but not below this uh, 0.5 micron. This is very interesting. And the other thing is what is the average of the spherical aberration with this patient? You know, the way we measure the spherical aberration is a, for a big pupil around six millimeters in the Pentacam. but it's very important to know exactly the spherical aberration for the mesopic pupil of the patient, not for the six millimeter. Probably the six millimeter spherical aberration, it would be very high, but the mesopic pupil of the patient is uh, below. And we need to, uh, to know exactly the spherical aberration for the pupil of the patient. And probably we could have a, a hyperopic treatment uh, with laser, with a not too big pupil that we could operate with any problem, even with a trifocal lens. But probably, as Erika said, um, eight of lenses, could be a good option not to get any problem with a very high-demanded surgery, like uh, trifocal uh, lenses.
0: We can even add that there are these, uh, you know, specific options like the pinhole lens that can be actually very useful in some irregular cornea because we do have this kind of a uh, radial keratectomy that have induced a very, uh, I mean, a lot of uh, significant irregularities. So I think that, you know, that was a very useful discussion. And I hope that we, we gave some interesting elements to help our colleagues uh, to manage the presbyopic patient. I mean, uh, we know the number of presbyopic patient in increase, more demanding. And uh, I hope that it has been, again, a useful and invigoratory discussion. Uh, so I'm Beatrice Koshner again, and along with our panelists, Amir Amid, Sri Ganesh, Joaquim Fernandez, and Erika Eskina. We'd like to thank you very much for joining us.